...speaking at least three or four times a week, sometimes at his house, at other times in a pub with a group of friends called the Inklings. I knew that he was ill, indeed that he had been so since 1961, when the troubles with his health began. He, however, seemed to think little of it, and, as he looked so robust, it was easy to forget it when in company with this ruddy six-foot genial man. Hence the surprise of finding him not well enough to attend Mass with me on July 14th. He urged me to remain there with him, and this was a memorable day for me in more ways than one. It was then that he asked me to accept immediately a post as his literary assistant and personal secretary, and later, after resigning my teaching position at the University of Kentucky, to return to Oxford to resume my duties. Lewis went for a routine examination the next morning to the Ackland nursing home, and, much to everyone's surprise, he sank into a coma, lasting about twenty-four hours, from which the doctors did not believe he would recover. Our mutual friends, the Reverend Dr. Austin Farrer and his wife, were to be on holiday in Wales from the 16th through the 31st of July, but at Lewis's request they remained in Oxford until the 17th, so that Austin Farrer could hear his confession and give him the blessed sacrament. Lewis wanted me to receive the sacrament with him, but as I was not ill, this was not allowed. In that case, Lewis said, you must be present to do the kneeling for me. With so much to do for him at this time, I was unable to keep a regular diary. However, I see from a letter I wrote to the Farrers on July 30th from Lewis's home, and now part of the Farrer papers in the Bodleian Library, Oxford, that I had already moved into Lewis's home by that time. Rather than tell Lewis how close he had come to dying, the doctors appeared to leave this to me. When I judged the time to be right, I told him about the coma and the few days when his mind was disordered. Thereafter, Lewis continued to believe that the extreme unction administered during the coma and his reception of the Blessed Sacrament had saved his life. Even before he went into the nursing home, I marveled that Lewis had lived so long without setting himself ablaze. Except when he dressed for a special occasion, he wore an old tweed jacket, the right-hand pocket of which had been patched and repatched many times. This was because Lewis, when wearied of his pipe, would drop it into his pocket, with the result that it would burn its way through. And this happened so often that there was none of the original material left. The nurses in Ackland, having found him nodding with a cigarette in his hand, would have none of this. And so it was that, except when I was with him, they would not allow him to have any matches. What puzzled Lewis was that after I had left him with a box of matches, a nurse would, as soon as I left, rush in and take them away. "'How do they know?' he asked me one morning. "'Give me a box I can hide under my bedclothes.' I had then to confess that while I was the supplier, I was also the informer. "'Informer!' roared Lewis. "'I have what no friend ever had before. I have a private traitor, my very own personal Benedict Arnold. Repent before it is too late.' I loved all the rough-and-tumble of this, and I fancy I pulled his leg about as often as he pulled mine but there was the gentler side that was just as typical. There was one incident that took place in the Ackland which the readers of his Narnian stories might find as endearing as I did. It occurred on one of those days when Lewis's mind was disordered, and when, as I noticed, he could not recognize any of those who dropped in to see him, not even Professor Tolkien. The last visitor of the day was his foster sister, Maureen Moore Blake, 
who a few months previously, and by a very unexpected turn of events, had become Lady Dunbar of Hempriggs, with a castle and a vast estate in Scotland. She was the first woman in three centuries to succeed to a baronetcy. They had not met since this happened, and, hoping to spare her any disappointment, I told her that he had not been able to recognize any of his old friends. He opened his eyes when she took his hand. Jack, she whispered, it is Maureen. No, replied Lewis, smiling, it is Lady Dunbar of Hempriggs. Oh, Jack, how could you remember that? she asked. On the contrary, he said, how could I forget a fairy tale? One day, when he was obviously much better, but not completely out of danger, he asked why I looked so glum. The reason for the glumness was that, living in our neighborhood, was a fierce old atheist of about ninety-seven who went out for a brisk walk every day. Whenever we met, he asked if Lewis was still alive, and on receiving my reply that he was in